Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode seven of the Nature Friendly Farming Network podcast with me, Ben Eagle, and the one and only Mr. Will Evans. So far, this series, we've mostly been profiling individual farms, um, albeit in the context of wider issues connected with the Rethink Farming report. Today on the show, though, uh, we're going to be doing some big picture thinking and looking at managing land across the wider landscape. We are really pleased to be heading to the Cotswolds today and are joined by Jenny Phelps, MBE, who is a Senior Farm Conservation Advisor for the Gloucestershire Farming and Wildlife Advisory Group and also a guest lecturer at the Royal Agricultural University. Jenny has over 30 years experience giving on-farm advice and has been with Gloucestershire FWAG for about 10 years. Um, she leads on many different projects, including the Upper Thames catchment-based approach and payments for ecosystem services, DEFRA pilots. Several years back, she developed the integrated local delivery framework with the support of the Countryside and Community Research Institute and Natural England. The framework puts the emphasis on local knowledge and draws together funding and support from multiple sources to put into projects that improve the environment and make local communities and environments more resilient for the future. Jenny, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for having me. I think that was the most impressive intro that we've had so far. (laughs) I think it is. It's made me feel terribly inadequate. (laughs) It's made me feel quite old, Will. (laughs) Um, Okay, Jenny, um, we're going to talk about the wider landscape today um and you have many years of experience working with farmers in your part of the world on landscape scale projects um can you tell us about your integrated local delivery approach first of all yeah thank you ever so much that's really kind of you i mean it sounds very complicated doesn't it that you know having a framework around action but actually it came from a a project that I was involved with, um, the Caring for the Cotswolds project, which was one of the first um, heritage lottery landscape scale partnerships. And you know, I come from a farming family that, you know, came cares deeply about the environment. My mother did zoology at Oxford, my father did botany. And, you know, I've always valued the farmers as being the guardians of the landscape. And when I was a project officer for this, um, for this particular heritage lottery project, um, it was really interesting to see that I was tasked with going out and delivering, um, you know, a restoration, it was particularly of limestone grassland with lots of different stakeholders and NGOs. And I kept saying, well, aren't you asking the farmers, you know, and what about the people who live there? So it was really interesting because what I learned on that project and where the framework sort of came from was that that people wanting to deliver environmental action were really missing the whole resource of the people that lived somewhere and um, and their knowledge and their connectivity to the land, um, both from the farmers and the communities. But there was also multiple different stakeholders who wanted to do things in that area, whether it was socially, economically or environmentally. And none of them seemed to be joined up and nobody seemed to be able to understand how to act locally because there was such complex governance that we'd created. Mm-hmm. So it's a really simple framework. Basically, what it enables people to do is to understand how to contextualise where they live in the context of the region, the nation, the world, uh, in the biosphere, and actually work out who are all the partners that have an interest in helping them to deliver, you know, a better future, more resilience, um, you know, for, for both people and the place um, and, and 
the future. And so I suppose from my perspective, it was it was a really interesting thing because it was something we felt we ought to share because we we, we needed facilitators to go out there and tell people mm-hmm. you can take action and there's lots of people that can help you and that you can look after the piece of your your the piece of the world that you care about, but in a in the context of a much wider delivery ambition. So that's really what the framework's all about. It's about trying to give people hope that at a time when you've got uh, you know real challenges global challenges around climate emergency and all the different things that we're facing that in a structured approach it's okay just to look after the bit of the world that you know and you love and you care about and do that with robust partnerships where everybody's knowledge is valued and and, and is contributing towards that that aim and, and, and bringing funding together and and just to say really the thing that's amazing about it is is that it really does deliver enormous things because you can suddenly get given contribution from lots of different organizations who understand the benefit of working together and you release the action of people who want to act on climate emergency so it's 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 super cool <laughs> and it's, um, it's, so um, that, that's all I can say really and, and I think a lot of people still don't quite get it and I and I find that quite difficult after 15 years that um because it is something that once explained simply or you have someone help you deliver it in your locality it becomes really clear how how great it is really fantastic so where does um i mean you could hear the sort of passion in your voice when you talk about it then but where, where does your interest in the environment come from was it from from your parents that you, that you mentioned and, and and how did how did that lead into you doing what you do now at work yeah i think it's really interesting because um yeah but as i say both my parents um you know were interested in the environment were very passionate about about nature my, my mother brought us up on Darwin and the origin of the species <laughs> um, and because uh, she did genetics and zoology at Oxford and my father was a botanist and did um, forestry and, uh, and botany at London and Oxford mm-hmm. and uh, we were lucky enough to have a small small piece of land we weren't big landowners my, my, fa- my mother's family had farmed in Gloucestershire for uh, since the 15th century but the wow. farm went down the mail line and uh, so we only had a, a small amount of uh, ground but we were always um I suppose we, but we were always brought up to have a huge amount of uh, sentience towards other animals. So, you know, we, we had quite a lot of animals. We had Hereford cattle and, and uh, Cotswold sheep, and and just to observe nature and uh, and plants. <laughs> and so I had a mother who was telling me about all the animals, and a father telling me about all the plants. And um, and yeah, I sort of grew up leaning against the railings at Sarancester Market, talking to farmers and <laughs> realizing how how many of them just were so misunderstood. You know that they they might not be very able to articulate the you know the passion they had for where they lived and what they did they but they you know they they seem to be not able to articulate that but you knew their hearts were were, were full of were full of the love of the land that they they looked after yeah but Darissa, I mean it's something that you are brilliant at is it's it's the marrying of these two isn't it it's bringing that environmental framework but also the people element is absolutely vital behind this and that's that's where facilitation and you in particular, um, if if you didn't bring these people together in the first place, then none of this could work would be happening. I think I think that's really true, Ben, because I think the, the problem is is a lot of people who are trained in a specific, you know, um, you know, I don't know, but specifically in one form of delivery in the environment, for example, maybe it's water quality or flooding or you know, ecological recovery, you know, have been to university and learned how to do that. And quite often they've been sort of trained that the farming, you know, farming is bad and the farming's done all these terrible things. And they've almost got this inbuilt 
view that you know farmers are the problem and we need to go out there and tell the farmers to change what they're doing and I think that's what the integrated framework was all about it was it was this quite it's a horror really to me really to go out having had these wonderful parents who 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 had been such guardians of the small uh, area of land that we had and to actually feel that this knowledge and this guardianship was was disregarded it was almost Mm -hmm. like um it's almost like that they couldn't communicate with each other. It was almost like they were, and and they didn't understand the sort of like the gruff farming speak sometimes. You know, farmers can <laughs> cannot be have many words. Um, and and but also what was really interesting was is that you realised that to facilitate this extraordinary ex- explosion of delivery, because once each of those partners start to respect each other, the farmers are respected and they they actually respect the scientists and the conservationists, that that becomes really dynamic and really extraordinary. But you need somebody who's trained to respect and value all those all those different viewpoints and all those different um, sort of qualifications of, of skills that we have. And, you know, you'll know as a farmer, you know, you walk across a piece of ground and, and you just know that the cows need moving or, you know, there's a bit too much grass for the horses in the spring. And, and you can't sort of quantify that. It's something that you're sort of, it's 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 an instinct. And that's the sort of knowledge that it's so important, that sort of indigenous knowledge to, to value um, in delivery. And that's really what my passion is, is to make sure that's not disregarded and is connected um, as well as joining all the different people together to work together for their benefit too yeah so i mean you've worked on dozens of different projects but are there any particular projects that stand out for you that that you would highlight as having been successful when it comes to achieving environmental goals across the wider landscape yeah, I mean, so so many. I mean, but I mean, it's it, it's interesting because I, I mean, I, I don't really know where to start because quite often, you know, people have said, "Oh, this only works, Jen, because you know everyone," you know, and so I've <laughs> deliberately sort of piloted myself into um, into other areas um, to actually see that if you use the approach and you respect the people you meet and you connect in the right way to the farmer community, even if you don't know them, that you can achieve. Some really amazing things. So quite recently, uh, we facilitated a project at Bledington, um, which was um, which was uh, based on the Wild Project, which is the Water with Integrated Local Delivery Project, which is now an international case study, which was about the benefit to communities of valuing the farm environment, the farmers around them for building resilience. And I think there's been a problem you know, over the last 15, 20 years where communities have been encouraged to look at how to stop flooding and they sort of marched out to the farmers and gone, you need to change this so we don't flood. And the farmers have gone, go away. <laughs> and and, and uh, it's really interesting because actually that what they've done in doing that is they've taken away the joy of the farmer being able to offer that contribution to their community. And so in that particular case study and the Wild Project case study as well is that what we were facilitating with the Rural Community Council who was working with the communities is let us just go and ask the farmers what they need. What are the problems in, in their businesses and their lives? How can we help them and, and, and see how we can connect whole sort of areas and, and uh, particularly water bodies affecting communities? Um, how can we go and ask those people how we can help? And, I've, you know, we have a mantra in our team, you know, be useful. If you don't ever go down a farm gate in, unless you can actually be helpful to the person that you meet before you think about anything else. And then so we effectively you know, went out to all these farms. We're told, oh, some of them are really grumpy. Some of them won't talk to you, I'm sure, you know. Blah, blah. <laughs> Anyhow, they're all lovely, you know, how it is. And, um, and, um, and yeah, so we went out, we met them all. And we worked out, obviously, with challenges of BPS loss, with challenges of people feeling isolated because they felt the community didn't understand them. There's a lot of demands being made of their land without people really understanding the impact of what might have on their business. They didn't understand about how all different organisations um 
could actually help them rather than being sort of, you know, sort of seeming a bit overbearing. So we sort of facilitated, um, the parish council had actually paid for us to go because it, we didn't have a project running in that area. And I think they paid us £3,000. And we think by the end of the time that we've finished by linking them to the catchment partnership, that besides the we've already got um, £30,000 worth of environment agency funding for them and we've also got some more natural flood management funding from the county council, we're facilitating five countryside stewardship agreements. So the integrated framework shows you that suddenly you, you get this huge opportunity to, to actually invest in that area from a partnership. So, you know, the cost benefit of having facilitators with the right approach to actually then join up at that investment in that local level is just extraordinary. But mm. to me, I think the bit that's even better than that is the, the social cohesion. It's this idea that people who might not have known each other, you know, will actually have respect and value each other, that, you know, the community understands yeah. the farmers are uh, are there to you know be helpful if they can and and that might then reconnect things like you know food supply or they might get localized growing areas or they might go out and volunteer on the farms and and and, and I know it all sounds you know a bit you know rose tinted glasses but you know I think in a climate emergency we, we really need to get prepared we know that communities come together when we're in a crisis extraordinary things happen but actually, we need to be prepared for that. We need to build these relationships now. We need to get the environments sorted so that we can all be, um, you know, resilient for food and fuel and fibre and flooding and all the other things now and recover ecology and, and help biodiversity and, uh, and just do that. And we need to do it at quite a small scale. So it's sort of water body level, groups of parishes, so people looking after their part of the world, um, but with the help of these, you know, higher strategic partners that can invest money and action. Mm. I mean, uh, alongside what you're doing, we're seeing more and more um, sort of landscape scale projects and collaborative partnerships across the country. You've got farmer clusters in England, and there's the EFS group scheme in Northern Ireland, Farm and Connect in Wales, um, regional land use partnerships in Scotland. Um, do you think? I mean, are, are you seeing more of this? And, and, and do you think? Do you think this really is really is the start of of a proper proper collaboration across the landscape? Yeah, I think it's interesting because, I mean, what we're trying to do here in Gloucestershire is demonstrate how that you can have multiple investment-ready projects by groups of farmers working together at the resolution of, of a water body level because we need to manage water to be able to manage soil and vice versa and get that connectivity because what all the work we do about building soil carbon and organic matter, you know, if it sits under water for four months or whatever, you know, you're going to destroy all the good that you've done. So we really need to work work on water and soil together. And I think it's what we're, what we're understanding is, is that there's, you know, internationally, there's a huge amount of um, investment that wants to go into carbon and ecological recovery and, and all those sort of things. And we need to be investment ready. So what we're working on now is this idea that you have, you know, groups of farmers that work at, at, at a sort of water body level that aggregate into a subcatchment so we're we're potentially going to set our um our upper thames uh garden farm and gardens upper thames um into a cic a community interest company like a lot of people are doing now and that will enable us to coordinate blended finance into that local area and work with communities that are developing green neighborhood plans um to build that sort of climate emergency into delivery and so i completely agree i think that the more we can create the support for uh, groups of farmers working at whatever resolution works for that landscape and their cultural connectivity, um, I think is really important. I mean, we learned um, that, you know, we've got 
a, a huge farm, a group of, you know, I don't know, 102 of us, I think, uh, 25,000 hectares or something. And that's great, too, because that gives us a voice and amplifies the voice. But actually what you need in a delivery level is, is much more detail around the infrastructure, the connectivity, the species. Where can we create horticultural growing areas? Where can we grow hemp? Where can we extend you know, grazing areas with herbal lays and do all sorts of wonderful things around resilience? Um, but uh, And to do that, we need to aggregate those projects so these investors can actually, investors at an international and national level aren't looking at you know, lots of little individual projects. They want, they want groups of projects to be aggregated. Um, there's a really good webinar by the Green Finance Institute about that. Uh, last week uh, that's really good um so at, at the same time as the as the rethink farming report states 81 percent of farms are not involved in a landscape approach scheme or farm cluster what what would you say to those farmers um who aren't yet involved how, how would you encourage them to perhaps look at this i think it's a really interesting question will because you know i mean i'm not meaning to sort of um put flag forward in that sort of way but you know if you go back 15 years, Fwag used to get uh, four or five million pounds worth of core funding from DEFRA. And um, their role was there to help facilitate delivery on the ground for farmers. Uh, we actually run, like many other organisations now, lots of farmer groups. It is difficult for farmers to do it without support. I, I really genuinely think that. But the alignment with the catch-up partnerships is really brilliant because now when you set up a farmer group, You've got 84 catchment partnerships that cover the country that have got these you know, groups of um, public, private and third sector organisations that are relevant to that locality. They've got some brilliant projects, you know, funded through lots of different mechanisms. And I actually had this conversation quite recently with um, uh, with PFLA about how they set up a group in Devon. And, and, and it's interesting because some farmers are proactive and understand they want to go out and, and, and um, group with their with their neighbours, but what do they do next? And I suggested that, you know, contact your catchment partnership because, you know, they will they will really welcome working with farmers and they might find they've got a project that could resource a facilitator um, and that it needs to be the, a facilitator that values the farming role in that, not just doing to the group of farmers, but actually enabling us as farmers and farming community representatives to actually be valued for the part that we play because they can't do it without us. And um, and actually, it's I, I really feel for parts of the country where there isn't the support for farmers, because I think a lot of farmers feel quite isolated. It's a very complicated time with lots of different funding streams and lots of different funding um, mechanisms still being sort of developed. Uh, hopefully together, we keep trying to align ELM and biodiversity net gain and carbon markets. And But actually, for an individual farmer who doesn't have a lot of support and has spent a lot of time farming you know it's actually really isolating and I think that there is there is support through things like the farm community network and um, farming well website it's a really good website but I think finding the time and the energy at a difficult time to go out and be proactive is quite hard I think most people need a bit of support to do that so yeah. I would recommend the government you know rather than putting out the 32 million pounds for rolling out the farm resilience program for individual business farm advice actually looks at how it might have much more structure around that advice I mean we know it's coming potentially with nature recovery um you know local nature recovery but it needs to be at scale so we don't leave anyone behind yeah i mean i mean i guess many people listening to the, this podcast many farmers will be doing as much as they can on their own farm no ben and i sort of 
fairly, you know, individually doing quite a lot of bits and bobs on, on our farms for nature and the environment. But what are the main benefits of using an approach like a farming cluster or integrated local delivery? Why is it why is it so much better on a, on a big scale? So I think it's really the fact that, you know, I think we've learned, haven't we, through so much inspiration around regenerative agroecological farming that we know now that actually it's very wasteful and expensive of us to use artificial inputs when we could actually be uh, replacing those with, you know, natural ecosystem mm. services. So the foundation of that we know is sort of living soil and, and, and all the things that are inspirational around that. And we know that nitrogen is a disruptor to, you know, building soil carbon and soil organic matter and that, you know, it might end up attracting pests to our to our crops that then we ultimately have to spray. But actually, as I was saying earlier, that the, the, the trouble with building organic matter in soils is that it requires us to manage the landscape around it. We we have to manage the water um, around our, our fields um, so that we can actually make sure that we either don't have too much or too little. So create, creating connectivity um, also, you know, not just around soil uh, management and water management, but habitat connectivity, you know, and actually building that opportunity for integrated pest management and actually restoring species in our landscape um, and actually having that sort of cohesion of, of being able to look at land and its connectivity, both from, from a geological point upwards, you know, its catchment and all of its topography and aspects um, is really important. And so uh, managing individual field parcels has some benefit, but it's almost like it's like managing, you know, bits of the jigsaw, not the whole mm. jigsaw. And I think that it's a social cohesion. I think the bit that um, I found really lovely about working with these farmer groups and in fact I think we set our first one up in 2002 so that's 20 years ago um is actually the fact that it is about it's about that connectivity for farmers and you know I used to when I first set up at the farmer gardens the upper Thames everyone used to come for dinner and um it was lovely about having they've got too many to all fit in the house now um but it was um it's something I want to go back to um because yeah. I think the social cohesion of working together particularly in challenging times for farmers is really important Mm. yeah definitely agree so jenny how, how else do you think that farming can be more collaborative in future and, and if we're talking about collaboration um who are we talking about bringing together because i know i mean you in your partnerships you work with a very very broad you have a very broad approach um but perhaps go in a little bit more detail about that um and perhaps i wonder if, if you could reflect on uh have you uh, have you reached the holy grail have you got the best approach for, for you for where you are now after uh, after working along these lines or is there are there still ways that you think you could improve your approach um, i think that i think that um there's there's always more to do um but i think that we've now got to the stage and the part when I say we I'm talking about the collective partnership so we're very lucky in Gloucestershire that we have an alignment between our county boundary and the boundary of our local nature partnership and our local enterprise partnership and that enables us to look at how are we going to deliver our local industrial strategy as a county and how are we going to um, deliver the local nature recovery strategies and what we want to do at a county level which we're doing much more at a county level um, than actually looking at elm design uh, anymore because unfortunately elm's been designed as an agri-environment scheme and even though we tried really hard on the elms engagement group to encourage defra to do it as a you know a, a, an internationally groundbreaking payments for ecosystem services and, and and demonstrate to the world that investing in farmland uh, for ecosystem services is something that would be uh, acceptable for the world trade rules 
Um, and the United Nations has said is, you know, very out of date are our, our, our world trade rules around commodity support. Um, that we could that we can't do that at a national level now because of the fact that you know Elm has been designed as an agri-environment scheme. Um, but we can invest at a county level in our farmers as much as we want. And we've also been working on the complexity of blending finance. And, and what we're trying to do is, is to create a environmental baseline that farmers submit um, their sort of record to uh, every year through using natural capital assessments using UK habitat classification so that we can attribute ecosystem function to the land and that farmers can directly contribute to the state of the environment and enable our partnerships at this county level to invest uh, in their farmland and that's the purpose really of setting up the community interest companies so we can aggregate carbon funding and, and biodiversity net gain funding and all sorts of other uh, investments um, to create local resilience and we're particularly interested in around producing sustainable food uh, sustainable fuel uh, so we're looking again at revitalizing the opportunity for producing um, biomethane, bioethanol, even hydrogen from um, soil building crops and human sewage, um, uh, rather than food waste and maize. Um, and, um, and also looking at how we can um, work with things like um, uh, hemp and, and, and all the other things um, that... Um, Oh God! What's the one that makes linen? <laughs> I can't remember. Um, all the all the other flax. Uh, flax. Thank you. All the sustainable fibres. So uh, in actually creating um, really resilient regenerative landscapes, of which groups of farmers are part of that, to go across the whole climate agenda around energy, around food, around water. Um, we could create an enormous amount of jobs and uh, economic recovery and investment. So I think that that is all possible and I, what's really exciting is is that we're now starting to see how that will play out and have a shared vision we've just created uh, in Gloucestershire Gloucestershire Food and Farming partnership vision that everyone signed up to and um, particularly pleased that the farmers are at the core and food is at the core of that um, and the agroecological transition um, to, to, to be able to revitalise societal change um, that's also equitable and fair. There may be listeners out there who are interested in becoming a facilitator um, or starting a farm cluster group, for example. What advice would you give to them? I think that it has to be something that you enjoy doing. And I think that um, there, we've, we're working with BASIS at the moment about setting up a, a training course around integrated delivery so that um, people can learn how to be a facilitator. And actually BASIS have been brilliant, Theresa Meadows, in actually starting to create a, an element of other modules that people understand around what an integrated framework is, even if you're you're only delivering a part of the agenda. But I think, um, as you all know, Ben, from being on my course, this is that you have to be somebody who likes people. <laughs> you have to be you have to be an assister. You have to be somebody who is a collaborator. Who it, it doesn't really need leaders. Which and the trouble with having a leader is is that you know, when the leader goes, then the whole thing sort of implodes. Um, um, so you need to be able to facilitate people to know how to take action themselves and to feel ownership of it. So that when you, you know, actually aren't needed as much because you've joined them with all the opportunities in their local area, put in the infrastructure, connected them directly to the partners who can support them, you know, facilitated funding, um, that actually you're not needed anymore. And that is a success to be able to withdraw and leave, not completely, but to leave people to be able to act and know how to act. So that's like, 
that's the dream. Um, and what's interesting is, is, you know, running the module that I ran that you came on, <laughs> um, the Farming Integrated Environmental Locals Living module, um, is that a lot of people who go on that course feel that this is something they would really like to do because a lot of people ha- are suffering from eco-anxiety and a lot of people don't know how to act. And the idea that you could suddenly know how to act is, like, really exciting. And... Um, so I have a lot of people who feel that it's something that, that they want to learn how to do because of the fact that they, they think it would be a, a really meaningful job. And it is um, because it it brings together people and place the environment and opportunities for us to all work together for mutual benefit. I think that's a really interesting phrase you've used there, eco-anxiety. I've never I've never heard it before, but that makes a lot of sense because I think there's a lot of us in, in farming, or, or, maybe, or maybe there isn't, maybe I'm maybe that's unfair speaking for a, all all farmers, but I'm pretty sure there is where we we kind of don't know what to do maybe um, in, in terms of, of what we can do on our farms. And certainly mm-hmm. I was sort of brought up on a very kind of production farm and um, I'm sort of learning my way a little bit with this stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure how to go about it all. So I think that's really interesting. Well, I think it's really interesting because this is, I've been doing a lot of exploration around this with um, some really brilliant um, you know, conventional farmers. So my son works on planting manor farms and I've been working a lot with um, Nick Bumford, who's amazing, who's won national awards, um, you know, for his his um, stewardship agreements and everything else. But they are they are they're farmers, you know, they're, they're, they're conventional mm-hmm. farmers. And Nick and I have spent a long time over the last few years trying to work out you know, how can we transition what are very, very profitable farm businesses that aren't breaking any laws currently, you know, that are actually, how do we transition that? And the, the sort of like the, the dream of regenerative agriculture is fantastic. But if you then end up with a community that's still being, you know, driven by oil, <laughs> you know, you're still you're still not actually fixing it, are you? And so what I was looking at is going back to the same to the what we did with the with the with the, the sustainable, sorry, the payments ecosystem services. Where we we looked at producing bioethanol and biomethane from herbal lays in 2016, and it was interesting because it came under a certain amount of criticism because people said, "Oh, everybody should, you know, just have livestock grazing or soil building lays." And and uh, AD has a lot of uh, negativity around it, um, partly because it actually quite often locks people into unsustainable um, farming systems like intensive dairy or intensive chickens, and obviously all the maize that we've seen degrading land and so it and quite often they didn't work very well in the old days um but the 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 transition of new technology and the idea that we shouldn't we shouldn't be using food waste we shouldn't be using maize we should be using human waste we have plenty of that I mean we've all seen these you know kiss the ground you know keep 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 the poop in the loop or whatever the lady said um you know but it's actually if you imagine that there is enough human beings to fuel our own AD digesters to be able to mix that then with, you know, hemp leaves or or um, herbal lays that then might enable you to extensify um, the grazing area, which would also have health benefits for the animals and reduce veterinary costs. And you know, you can actually see a situation where you might have localized small AD plants, you know, and also other sort of manufacturing plants that might be around hemp and flax. Uh, around fibre and wool and wool, um, you know, processing and start to build opportunities so that that actually farming the land for producing products that can feed those systems actually creates a revenue that enables you to turn your business model um, so that you can actually say, well, actually, it's not just a nice thing to farm regeneratively. It's going to make me a lot of money and I'm going to be much more resilient. So this is what we're looking at at the moment. And I'm lucky enough to be sort of having conversations with people at the Green Finance Institute and other 
lovely people like that. Helen Avery is very kindly going to come and see us. Uh, and we're looking at how can we invest in the infrastructure that we need, you know, to actually make this happen. Because these big investors that are out there, you know, internationally, they, they don't want to mess around with, you know, half a million or a million. Um, they want to they want to invest 50 million or 100 million. So can we aggregate our projects across the landscapers, groups of farmers and understand what infrastructure that we need to create the markets to be able to produce things that are sustainably going to capture, um, you know, carbon, build our soils, recover the, our ecology. And the exciting bit about that also is, is that we think we can get to a situation where we can attribute um, ecosystem function to that land as it's regenerating to prove the economic benefit, but also to be able to potentially make um, food from those landscapes affordable for all through dynamic procurement because the local authorities buying school meals, for example, will have a duty to the environment which that land will be delivering. So we're we're hopeful that we can also create a market for regenerative agriculture through connecting with you know, our local authorities and school meals and, and all of the budgets that go around food. And obviously, we really want to help with food poverty and, and connect people to um, food producers so that we don't have members of a society that is out that are, um, are in food or fuel poverty. So it's, 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 it's literally the, a vision for a societal change based around producing different products that have the footprint that we need to create, create the business model to enable us to change. And that is where we need um, the government to understand that putting out sort of small grants for, you know, um, farm productivity is um, or equipment funds aren't big enough. <laughs> I've got a bit of a I've got a bit of a, a conversation going on with DEFRA at the moment because people want to buy cross lot drills. Give us some money for some cross lot drills, you know, um, and actually uh, that investment. I think there's there's a lot of money to be had, but a lot of farmers don't know how in heaven to access it and they don't know how to transform their businesses. And I think just having, you know, one visit from a farm resilient advisor, however brilliant it is, isn't going to fix that for that farmer. They need they need to feel part of a systems change that is supported by all of the farmers around them, the communities around them, the district they live in, the county they live in, and all the economic catchment and nature partnerships supporting that transformation of, of the whole system that we need to do. Um, Lastly, then, la very last question, and we've asked every guest in this series that has been in, in this question. It's been really, really interesting to see on the responses they they've given. But what does the phrase "rethink farming" mean to you? Um, I think rethink farming means, um, I suppose, in a sense, it, for me, it encapsulates the understanding we have now around. The, the the rationale around agroecological farming it's almost like if you look at the evidence now as to why conventional farming you know went down the path it went down you know whether that's post-war um you know needs or whether it's people trying to sell farmers products or whether it's around you know intensification and this idea that we had to produce all this food and actually, you know, I, I went to the Royal Agricultural University and I was taught how to rip out hedges and blast the world in chemicals. <laughs> and, um, and actually, I think it, it is about rethinking farming because it's about it's about sitting on a hillside and thinking, you know, do I really want to grow a product that's that I'm not making much of a profit out of um, because I'm just doing it the way I always did it? Whereas the, the knowledge and the science and the inspiration is telling us 
that we can farm better and more resiliently by letting our, letting our farming system recover nature through from our soils right the way through to the diversity of, of, of different habitats and species across our farm, starting from the soil up. And, and you know, I think the tragedy for me at the moment is, is that I think a lot of farmers completely understand it now. They are totally inspired. They they get it. They want to get there. They really want to get there, but they don't know how to get there. They don't know how to get there either out of loyalty to their staff because they don't want to change their business or they, they don't understand how they can get the funding to change their equipment or maybe even their whole farming system. Um, and that they need, it's not just about rethink, it's the people that should rethink farming is the people who are supporting or allegedly supporting this transition I think that I think the government needs to rethink farming um, because it's certainly happening at a at a county level in our county that we understand that farming a different way will help society and the farmers a huge amount and that I think that for me helping those farmers get there and feel that they haven't done anything wrong the way they farmed was the way they were asked to farm they were supported to farm they were driven to farm you know by supermarkets and that we need to all and that includes the supermarkets you know rethink what it is that we need out of our society and build that resilience so that we can actually make sure that we we all go forward in a positive way that takes nature with us um, and that that should make us all resilient you know economically personally and, and um, environmentally and that's the mic drop moment um we will leave it there but a huge thank you to jenny coming on the show today it's been absolutely fantastic i'm sure we could have talked all day but thank you for listening and please do spread the word about the show and subscribe to the podcast wherever you are listening next time we'll be on our final episode of this series it's flown by and we'll be joined by the ffcc's super richard to talk about prosperity until then thank you for listening and have a great week